This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, episode number 136. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. I am your host, Riley Bowman, and today I'm also joined by Jacob Paulson. Howdy. Hello, sir. Hi. That's a that's a grand old howdy. <laughs> yeah, that's how we roll. Well, we are here uh, recording uh, the day after July 4th, Independence Day. We hope you all had a good one. I uh, hope that it was enjoyable for you, that you were able to enjoy it uh, in peace uh, in freedom and, uh, safely. Uh, Jacob, I hope you had a good one as well. Yeah, it was great. <laughs> Ate like a uh, king and lots of fireworks and though I'm really sore. I ran a 5k in the morning and then went on my first bike ride in like 25 years in the afternoon. First bike ride in 25 years? Easy. I was trying to figure that out. Like, definitely not since I've been married. I don't think since I graduated from high school, I've ridden a bike. And my wife, being a wonderful person, decided we should all, the whole family should get bikes and we should go on family bike rides. Yesterday was the first one. And, oh, man. Wow. So, did you, like, have a hard time staying on the bike or what? (laughs) No, no. It's, you know, the old cliche is true, but. I, I think I activated some muscles that have been dormant for a very long time. <laughs> Dude, I love biking. I used to be a hardcore mountain biker. Not so much anymore, but I still like to get out from time to time. I don't think hey, I even could... owned a bike for 15, 20 years. Man, what a shame. Oh, Jacob, Jacob. I wonder, I was just thinking, you know, is there something to be said about concealed carry while riding a bike? And should we do an episode about that sometime? We should do an episode about that, actually, because that was an interesting challenge. I usually carry, as you know, right around yeah, 4 o'clock, maybe 4.30, 5, uh, depending on the day. And that's a huge challenge on your bike because you're kind of hunched over, right? So unless you're wearing a longer shirt, that's not going to work out. So I had to adjust uh, some things, yeah. Yeah, no, that's uh, – tell, tell us, folks. Uh, hit us up on Facebook or our, through our website on our contact page. Tell us if you'd like to hear a concealed carry podcast episode about uh carrying concealed and riding a bike mountain biking or road biking or whatever I, you know i don't really do road biking but uh but yeah I, I don't i i think it would probably be kind of the same regardless of what type of bike you're riding i think i don't know i hadn't really thought about it that much so good stuff today's episode by the way is brought to you by guardian nation we hope that you will consider if you haven't already joining the tribe here at Guardian Nation, uh, where we have the, one of the fastest growing tribes of self-defense shooters nationwide. Some of the great benefits you'll receive, well, one of them is in play this week because a couple times a year we do big, big, big sales uh, and member appreciation events for our Guardian Nation members, which we have going on right now. Jacob, why don't you tell the folks real quick about it? Yeah, well, today's the last day for the Happy Birthday America sale. It's been a three-day sale. It's been absolutely crazy. Um, I I mean, things that we had tons of inventory on that uh, I'm shocked that we sold almost completely out of some of those items. But it's been great. It's a member-only appreciation sale. Uh, we have about 29 total items that are available in that sale, deeply discounted from you know 20 to 50-plus percent off. And then tomorrow is, I guess, the rest day. And Friday, July 7th, is Guardian Day, which is our member-only appreciation 
awesome day. Um, we have another series of, of products that are greatly discounted, even more so than the Happy Birthday America sale day. And we're, we're giving away a gun to one lucky happy, uh, Guardian Nation member and uh, get every, giving every single member a hat, basically. So, yeah, it's going to be huge. Guardian Day. Yeah. I'm super stoked to see who the lucky person is that gets the uh, the SIG P320 that we're giving away. <laughs> All custom coded, some custom slide cuts. Uh, it looks it looks really amazing. I was thinking about it actually much of the day yesterday, <laughs> throughout Independence Day. I was like, oh man, I wish I could have that thing, you know. And and here on you know Independence Day, be carrying it or something because that gun was was freaking sweet. So, uh, anyway, we hope that you'll check out Guardian Nation. Uh, go to guardiannation.com. Uh, get started there. Uh, you can get access also to all of our Shooter Skill Library videos, our Guardian Nation live broadcast events, the archive of past recordings, um, plus members, besides the member appreciation events, like the big sale we got going on right now that ends tonight, and the big Guardian Day sale later this week on Friday, you also always, 24-7, get 10% off everything sold at concealedcarry.com. So go to guardiannation.com, check it out. We hope to see you in the nation. And so with that, uh, as usual, on uh, Monday, well, <laughs> that's funny. Today's not a Monday episode. We're recording today's episode as though it were a Monday episode. Monday, uh, if you haven't listened to it already, I had a special episode together with Dr. Steve Adams, who is one of our instructors in our network here at ConcealedCarry.com. He teaches courses in Idaho and Utah. And uh, he's a super intelligent dude. Very good instructor, by the way. Uh, but uh, one of his specialties is he really gets it where it comes to uh, the Constitution, Declaration of Independence, kind of the whole history behind uh, the founding of our country, a lot of the theory that was, you know, that was behind it, what inspired the founding fathers and so forth. And so he and I, we were able to sit down and record a special Independence Day uh, edition of the podcast uh, for Monday. It was released on July 3rd. Uh, all about kind of the history, well, we titled it The History of Self-Defense or The History of the Right of Self-Defense. And uh, I thought it was really good. Uh, Jacob, you didn't participate in that, but I was curious what you thought about the episode. Well, I, I learned some things. Um, and I, I think it was really good. We had a couple of good comments I saw that ca that came in. And uh, yeah, I learned a lot of things I didn't already know. And I feel more clear. I think I feel more assured. You know, there's so much debate and drama out there about what the founding fathers really meant and if that's even applicable today. And what I came out of the the Monday episode that you guys published with Steve was just kind of having greater clarity than before in what the founding fathers really were doing and why they did it. And, uh, you know, if so if, if you want, you know, a deeper understanding of that, I'd say go listen to it if you haven't already. Yeah. Episode 135. So uh, typically we do news episodes on Mondays, uh, but we decided to switch things up this week. So today is the news episode for the week. We have tons of crazy stories to, to talk about. Uh, seriously, there's some really crazy stuff out there. Uh, and today's training tip is the bill drill, a very common, popular uh, drill. And uh, Jacob, you suggested this one for today. So uh, tell us about the bill drill. Yeah, bill drill is not that that rocket science. Essentially, the gist of performing the drill is you stand from you know five to ten yards away. It's a standard two-handed strong strong grip, 
And at the start of the buzzer, you draw and fire six rounds at the target as fast as possible. And, you know, the, the idea here is, is to really kind of practice recoil management, uh, sight tracking, trigger manipulation. Um, and I'm thinking about this now in context of what we just learned from Rob Latham from, from last month's Guardian Nation broadcast and podcast. You know, it's about forcing that trigger to move fast. And then along with that, dealing with, with recoil, you know, getting, getting sights back on target. And it's just a good way to kind of track your progress over time. You know, do, run that drill every once in a while, write down your time and say, hey, am I improving or not? Yeah, you know, I, I really like the build drill. There's a couple things I think you get from the build drill. Number one, it's a great drill, I think, to practice cold. Meaning like you start out cold, you don't really have a warm up, you don't really have a chance to to do anything other than show up at the range, set it up, and then just see if you can do it and see how, you know, because what this is, is to me, the build drill is a, a pretty good representation of I'm cold, meaning not warmed up. I'm out in, in the real world and suddenly I'm faced with a threat and I need to draw and shoot that threat quickly. And six rounds, I think, is a fairly reasonable number of rounds to shoot. I think part of the reason, by the way, Bill Wilson, the creator of the drill, uh, settled on six rounds. Is One, it was enough rounds that it's representative of whatever it is you're trying to measure. And two, it's not so many rounds that it's a drill that you can't do with just about any gun. Because you can do this with a, well, you could do it with a six-shot revolver, maybe not a five-shot. Uh, you could do it with a 1911 that has, you know, standard traditional 1911 capacity of seven rounds. Uh, you could do it with your little subcompact, you know, micro uh, nine millimeters and 380s and stuff as well. Uh, those would be pretty hard to, I've never actually run, I don't think the build drill, no, I think I have done it with a Glock 43 and I, it was okay, but it's, it's a lot more challenging with those little tiny guns, of course. So uh, tra- traditionally, I, well, I like to run the build drill at seven yards. Uh, that's where I'm at right now. It's pretty challenging. Traditionally, you can, I think five yards is the standard. I, I don't remember exactly. I don't remember exactly where, where they started out with it, but I would say for the first time you should start at three yards, draw, fire six shots and try to keep all the shots in the A zone of the target. Now, uh, this is typically done with a IDPA or USPSA or, or uh, IPSC target. Uh, the IDPA ones have a center hit zone of about an 8-inch diameter circle. And the IPSC USPSA targets have a like 6-inch wide by 10 or 12-inch tall A zone. Either way, try to keep all your shots in that A zone. Because that's the test. Like those are kind of the, you know, that's like your traditional... Uh, vital zone and if you can keep all six shots in that area then that's six shots that are likely deadly to to your threat and so it's a great drill it's challenging uh i think it forces you to really work on your draw because if you don't nail your draw perfectly then you're gonna struggle you're gonna fumble and you're gonna be a lot slower so you gotta make sure you get that initial grip on the gun perfect every time uh, it's going to teach you like Jacob, you were talking about, uh, work on the trigger shooting, you know, just shooting as fast as you possibly can, uh, without totally losing control, uh, learning how to dr- jerk the trigger appropriately, meaning you're, you're slamming it as fast as you can, but you're not throwing your alignment of the gun way off. And then of course we all know about the recoil control. Uh, so build drill, uh, go try it. If you haven't done it, uh, start out three yards, six shots start from the holster 
and see how it goes. And a good time, I, I think a reasonable time on this would be, for most people, would be four seconds. That's that's pretty reasonable. But where you probably really want to strive to get to is probably more like two, two and a half tops. Uh, basically, you're getting the gun out of the holster in about a second, maybe a little more. And then if your split times are right around two-tenths of a second, you should be able to actually get sub-two seconds on this. But, but, but that's really challenging. Is, the key is to shoot accurate shots, right? So don't, don't you know, make sure you're keeping your shots accurate. If, 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 your, if your score is such that the shots are not all in the hit zone, then you've got to slow down in order to complete the drill and have a time that's a benchmark. Well, that, that's why it's such a great drill, because it's that, you know, finding that balance between accuracy and speed. And uh, I, I'm kind of suggesting that the benchmark is sub two seconds, like two seconds or less. Um, that's where you want to try to get to. So as you're working on the build drill, focus on getting those hits. And as you continue to make your hits count, you're in that A zone, then speed up and speed up until you start losing it. And then continue working on your skills. Try to get your your draw your draw time a little bit quicker. Uh, spend some time, you know, on trigger control and making sure you're not jerking. Uh, you know, and then work on your grip and making sure that you've got really solid grip and a tight control of that gun, and that you're returning back to the target consistently. Uh, so get it consistent. Get get accurate hits, but speed up and try to ride that edge. That's where I where I what I try to do. So you're kind of right on that edge of between falling apart, <laughs> and you know, and just accomplishing the mission. Uh, because that's kind of where you want to be. And, and realistically, with a lot of, you know, with a lot of skill and practice, you should be able to do this in two seconds or less. Yep. So, oh, did you have something else, Jacob? No. Yeah, game on. Go okay. do the drill. Cool. And today's ep- ep- episode is also brought to you by uh, our very own here at ConcealedCarry.com, our adhesive reactive targets, and also by Mantis X. Uh, stay tuned for, for some info on that coming up a little bit later. Let's get into our first news story. And first up, this is actually kind of a follow-up to a story we reported on a few weeks ago. Uh, we talked about a, uh, a federal appeals court ruling uh, on behalf of, you know, in favor of. There was a couple of cases. There was Binderup versus the U.S. Attorney General and uh, Suarez versus the U.S. Attorney General. And uh, in these cases, essentially what was ruled was that uh, you couldn't have your uh, Second Amendment rights stripped away uh, because of certain misdemeanor, uh, you know, offenses that that were committed. And right. so, essentially, here. So, let me give you an example. So, Daniel Binderup, one of the uh, plaintiffs in one of these cases, uh, his case went way back to 1996. His guns were taken from him after he was convicted of a misdemeanor offense of corrupting a minor. Uh, as he was dating a 17-year-old girl at the time of his arrest. So, you know, this kind of sounds like he had a relationship with an underage, you know, 17-year-old girl. And But, you know, what he was charged with and what he was convicted of was a misdemeanor crime. But because of this conviction, uh, he his guns were seized from him. Because in some states, a you know, an offense of kind of a, of a sexual nature or domestic violence or some of these things, uh, you might not necessarily have a felony case, but you have misdemeanor charges that are brought forth. And in some cases, in some states, depending on statutes, uh, some of those 
uh, convictions can result in the loss of, of Second Amendment rights. And so that's essentially what he was suing for. Um, now, the federal appeals court said, no, this is, this is not, not, not acceptable. And now the Supreme Court of the U.S. has not decided to take up the case. And that was also true in the, in the Suarez case. And so basically the Supreme Court is allowing to stand the ruling from uh, the 10th uh, the Circuit Court. And I think there was another the third. Uh, third Circuit Court. Mm-hmm. And so essentially that's the Supreme Court saying that the way this appeals ruling uh, uh, fell is, you know, they didn't see any reason to take it up or to overturn it or, or anything. Right. So this has pretty huge ramifications. I know there's going to be some, you know, de- uh, detractors as far as like people that, hey, this is ridiculous or crazy. You know, like we might have some guys now that with guns that they, for whatever reason, feel like they shouldn't have them. Um, you, you're going to have some people that haven't been able to have Second Amendment rights for some time, and now they're going to be able to have those rights again. And I, I don't know exactly what to say to all that, other than. It's pretty clear that the Supreme Court has ruled, uh, or at least they've allowed to stay, to stay in place this ruling from a federal court, that there's going to be – the standard's going to be a lot higher now as far as when you can remove someone's Second Amendment rights from them. And that's a big deal. Well, I think it's not just about the standard being higher. I think it's about the standard being universal. I think it's about the idea that sure. individual states can't just go out and, you know, arbitrarily determine for themselves what will or what won't, uh, you know, strip away your Second Amendment rights. Instead, the Supreme Court's saying, no, <laughs> that's that's not up to you. You can't do that. Like, this is a guaranteed right in the U.S. Constitution, and so you can't take it away willy-nilly. We have a standard. Follow it, you know? So, so I think it's about the standardization of it in addition to... Um, you know, the, the, the other factors here. And, and you know, it, it's funny because when we published the last one and we talked about it on the podcast, oh my gosh, like it, and we had a lot of comments on that story. And some people, you know, were on both sides of the fence. Some people were like, this is ridiculous. If someone's been, you know, convicted of you know, domestic abuse, they shouldn't have a gun. Another person's like, I was convicted of domestic abuse. I didn't even touch anyone. You know, it was it was a nonviolent yeah. case. Like some, my, my ex-wife lied about what I did, you know. So it kind of went both ways uh, in the comments. And I think the point is, you know, just just labeling something, hey, you know, corrupting a minor, therefore, you know, no guns. Like, it, it's tough to draw lines in the sand like that. And so, so the Supreme Court saying, hey, you know, you have to draw uh, or follow the line that's already been drawn here because it's we're talking about someone's Second Amendment right, and that's a big deal. It really is, and I, I appreciate your clarification that you gave there, Jacob, because it, it it really is about consistency. And it, it, this sort of thing has to be consistent because the Second Amendment is involved, because it is it is a big deal. And so basically what we get from this is that these sorts of cases, it, it's got to be applied consistently across the board. Uh, and you're right. I mean, we did see a lot of those comments. And, and, and I can kind of, in fact, I have a friend that was convicted of a crime a long time ago. Uh, that, and he's a decent, he's a decent dude. You know, he's totally, you know, he's turned uh, his back on that part of his life. He's made a good life for himself, has a, a, a good family, uh, has not committed any crimes ever since. And yet he is still struggling getting his rights to possess and, and carry a gun again. Um, and I kind of kind of feel for some of those people at times. But anyway, 
I don't know how this applies to his situation necessarily. That's not really the point. It's just, it's understanding that this does impact a lot of uh, people, uh, potentially law, you know, now law abiding, perfectly good, decent people um, that maybe made a relatively minor mistake once upon a time. Because misdemeanor crimes, that's what they are. They really are minor, minor mistakes in a lot of cases. Yeah, I mean, like, the example, like this binder up guy, when, when he was convicted of that crime, he had a $300 fine and a few years of probation. Right. Like, you know, he, he didn't even go to jail, and yet we took away his right to, to keep and bear arms. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know it the did, details. Yeah. I'm not trying to, to pass judgment. I'm just saying that that gives you some context. Yep. And that's important context. Now, turning to Colorado, we've kind of touched on this before on a couple of news stories and in the podcast. Uh, and, uh, so this is actually a, a, a new one, at least I don't think we talked about Weld County, Colorado specifically yet, but, uh, in Weld County, they're talking now about Colorado school teachers being able to carry concealed in the classroom. Yeah. I applaud the ingenuity of some school districts in Colorado because they've really essentially exploited a loophole as far as I'm concerned. Um, and maybe that's the wrong way to say it, but that's how I think of it. I mean, this, the law essentially says, that you can't have guns in schools unless you meet a couple of you know rare exceptions, and one of those exceptions is security officers, you know, employed or contracted security officers who have that job title can be armed. And so, <laughs> you know, we got some really clever school districts here that have recently said, "Huh, well, can we just take our school teachers and say that they're also security officers? Can we just like add that to their job title? Then poof, now our now our teachers can be armed, yep. right?" And and so that's really what's happened is is in my mind that's essentially a loophole and it's working out and it'll create more track record which is the point right we need more track record of more teachers in more states carrying guns that are trained uh, so that we can point at that and say see like not a problem yeah it'll this snowball is really, this is really cool by the way because uh, one of the things they did here is they established a program called Faster which is an acronym for Faculty Administrator Safety Training and Emergency Response. Because this program is not just about giving a teacher shooting training, you know, and saying, okay, they're safe with a gun, they can carry a gun. It's also teaching them how to handle threats that they might have to deal with on school grounds. And that's really cool. And it's really important because, especially for these rural communities, uh, it, it quotes in this article from uh, the superintendent of Briggsdale Schools. And Briggsdale is in a very rural part of Colorado. And the superintendent, Rick Mont, he says 20 minutes is a long time. Referring to, you know, implying that that's about how long they might have to expect before police can respond to a situation at any one of their schools. And if you've got an active shooter situation at a school in Briggsdale or some other rural place, uh, that's a that's a long time before you know because a lot of times these types of threats they're not ended until the active shooter is either he is shot and killed or he is faced with force, meaning he comes face to face with someone that might kill him, and then they a lot of times they'll take their own life. All right. And so now this, I, I would make the same argument, by the way, of any school, not just rural schools, because you, you know what? 20 minutes is too long, but three minutes can also be too long of response time to save lives. So, yeah. um, but it, you definitely see how it means a lot to them in these rural communities, rural school districts. 
And I applaud them. I think this is fantastic that, that they would not just establish a, a certification program, like I said, to get a, a, a teacher certified to carry concealed, but to also teach them the, the tactics and the tools to hopefully respond effectively. In well, a, a point of clarification, the, the program, the FASTER program, is uh, one that's a company developed out in Ohio. Yeah. And, uh, and, and so, I th- I don't, I'm not clear if they were contracted to come in and provide this training or if they you know, sold the curriculum. I, I don't know the details. But, but the point is, that is a program that's you know, widely available for anyone who's interested in, you know, in bringing that into their school district, um, that, it, that that's there. Riley, you and I right. should go take the class for fun. But well, I, I also will say this. I think it's, you know, being a teacher is tough. Like it's hard being a teacher and there's a lot going on. It's it's a very demanding job emotionally and on your time. And to add to that, that I want to be armed and I want to be available to defend the lives of these innocent people. I think it's super noble and commendable. I mean, t- we all know that teachers are like poorly paid, awesome, amazing, you know, noble indiv- humans uh, for the, for the greater part. And so to add this responsibility on top of that, I think is, uh, you know, it's moving to me. It's, it's extraordinarily noble of, of these teachers who would say, yeah, I'll, I'll do it. Yeah. Now, uh, there's another aspect to this, I think, that is relevant uh, in that, you know, we don't know and we should know who, which teachers are trained and which teachers are, are caring on, on a school campus. And that's a security thing because obviously if, uh, if that's widely known as to who might have a gun in the school, then you can just target those those individuals, those teachers or faculty members or administration, uh, or you can position yourself where maybe they're not around or whatever. But, uh, and so, you know, there's some parents probably saying, Hey, I want to know, I want to know, I have a right to know if the teacher that's in my child's classroom has a gun on them. And they've made it very clear that look, and this is actually quoting, uh, Laura Corno, CEO of Coloradans for civil liberties, which I applaud them because they are covering the cost for the faculty members to take this class, which is thousand bucks a head, and there's seventeen hundred or seventeen of these teachers they've said uh, that are going to be going through this, and they've said there's a confidential confidentiality aspect to all of this as well. Each participating school district can decide how public or private it wants to be when it comes to having staff members at this training exercise and who will be armed at school. It's also for the staff members' protection because no one wants a potential armed shooter to know in advance in advance, which staff member will be armed at any given time. So I applaud them. I applaud the C the, the excuse me, the Colorado Coloradans for civil liberties uh, organization for making this possible. I applaud the school district. Uh, so bravo, bravo all, all the way around. I, I think it'll make these, these classrooms safer for our kids. Yep. So speaking of safety, Jacob in uh, Minnesota, <laughs> Uh, last nice, week, nice, uh, nice transition, nice segue. Um, yeah. Oh, how awful! So, so this story, and this is on our Minnesota.conciliatory.com site, um, is is really kind of tragic. And essentially, what we have is um, two two people, a young couple, uh, Mona Lisa Perez, age nineteen, and her husband Pedro Reese, age twenty two, and they have a YouTube channel in hopes of, uh, you know, doing what all YouTube channels do, I guess, you know, getting a little fame, uh, building a little audience, and hopefully making a little bit of money. And so they've been, uh, you know, vlogging their lives away about uh, being young and married, and they're soon to be parents. Apparently, Mona Lisa is, uh, is pregnant. So they have this great I think idea. They have a little, uh, little child as well already. 
Oh, did they? Yeah, I missed. I'm, I yep. missed that. Yeah, yep. so yep. they already have a so child they're, as well. They're parents. They're expecting parents as well, and uh, like you said, they're trying to become famous on YouTube. Yeah, not. Oh man. So <laughs> so they have a great stunt idea, and the premise of the idea is we're gonna, we're going to show how textbooks books can stop bullets, and apparently they didn't see our YouTube video, Riley. Um, yeah. Because what they did is they, you know, the the Pedro he holds a big thick book. It doesn't say how big the book was. It just says that he had a book, and he holds it uh, right over his chest for the purpose of the demonstration. It's, it's it says it's a hardcover encyclopedia. So instead of you know like st- staging it somewhere and you know shooting at it, he he decides I'm just going to hold it. You know I'm going to use this thing as body armor. And so Mona Lisa takes aim with a 50 caliber Desert Eagle, and boom fires and uh well if you've ever shot a book before you know the end of the story went right through and uh pedro's dead yeah so you know is it possible to stop a bullet with a book oh absolutely uh i've shot a number of books uh we you we did do a video uh about this uh testing you know i think it was books in a backpack right which that's another great segue because we were just yeah. talking about kids safety and security in schools and uh, can you use your backpack full of books as viable, you know, uh, bullet-resistant protection? Um, you can if you got enough of them. And I think what did we find, Jacob? Like about what two or three books would stop most things, but like the two-two-three took maybe maybe four or five books. Yeah, I mean, if you want to if you want to stop uh, the two-two-three, I think it took five books. But you know, if you want to stop a nine millimeter, these, I think three little... books would get it done or something like that. Right, and these were like your your these are classic, you know, like two inch thick biology, you know, textbooks and math, you know, you know, algebra or, or calculus books, you know, and so we're talking, you know, probably five to six inches of book to stop like a nine millimeter, and probably like eight to ten inches to stop, you know, a two two three, and so they're shooting a fifty caliber Desert Eagle. It's a pretty, it's a it's a large diameter bullet. It's a heavy bullet. And boy, if you had, uh, they, I wish they had just contacted us ahead of time and said, all right, we want to do the stunt. And I probably would have still said, don't do it. But, <laughs> but I would have definitely said, yeah, that, that two inch hardcover encyclopedia, probably not going to do it. Now I saw in another news uh, report somewhere, Jacob, that supposedly they tested this before they did it. Like, I think they just took a book and, and shot it, uh, uh, you know, I, I assume with Pedro not holding uh, the book in front of his chest. And uh, supposedly they tested it and supposedly it stopped the bullet. And so I thought, hey, this is is totally uh, uh, plausible. We can do this. And well, guess what? You know, there's differences between books. And one of the big things, uh, a big difference maker is also density. And so if if for some reason the paper wasn't dense enough, there was a little bit of space in between, I don't know. There's a lot of variables. And the thing is, is (laughs) <laughs> this is obviously a dumb thing to do. And it's really unfortunate. Uh, Mona Lisa Perez is facing uh, uh, manslaughter charges, uh, potential for you know up to 10 years in prison. And I mean, her life has changed and she's got to live for the rest of her life too, knowing that she's the one that pulled the trigger. And she was the one that went along with uh, doing this thing, this stunt, and it got her husband killed. Um, I think she said that it was his idea and he was okay with it. He was comfortable with it. But still, you know, something in like in this day and age, we, we see this where people just 
I don't know. Are they not using their brains, Jacob? I mean, no, no sane, normal person does this. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't know what to say. Uh, don't, you know, this, this is not smart. It's not intelligent. I get that we're all trying to be special, cool, different, or, you know, attention grabbing and whateverness, but yeah, don't do, this. don't do this. Yeah. You know, the, the, like I, I just, you know, and here'd be a thought too. Like, let's say you're Mythbusters, you know, on Discovery Channel, and you got a producer, and you got, you know, paramedics in the building all the time, and you know, you have the, you have the, you have insurance policies, and you know, you got to do all sorts of things to get to a point where you decide that we're going to do a stunt like that. Like, that's one thing, right? But it's like just two people who are like, yeah, let's test it once. But oh yeah, it worked. Let's try it again. You know, different book, maybe even a different gun. Like it, it's just, yeah. I'm not. I guess what I'm saying is it's 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 foolish all around. But yeah. Um, if you want to do a fancy stunt, like there's there's ways to do things you know, correctly, and this was not it. This was not a scientific approach. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Um, so it's just interesting to me because we do see this trend, and it's not just with a stunt like this with a, a gun involved, but we hear of these kids. Uh, well, and sometimes they're not necessarily kids either. Sometimes they're grown adults where they are trying to do. You know, I think there was a story recently I saw where someone was. Um, they were at, uh, some, you know, cliff or whatever, right. And, uh, or Canyon and trying to do, you know, this epic looking selfie as they're sort of right there on the edge of this Canyon, holding out their phone, trying to get this, like I said, an epic shot. That's like kind of the big thing. Like, oh, wow, look, I'm right on the edge and this looks awesome. It's, it's amazing. And that's going to, you know, get more likes on social media and more followers and subscribers on YouTube and stuff. And uh, that person lost their balance and fell and died. And we, we've, this is, these are not isolated incidents by any means. It's, it's kind of become a thing. So uh, you can research those stories, but this one definitely caught our attention as it involved a gun and yeah, so tragic story with a tragic ending. Um, don't do it. Don't so, do it. <laughs> let's t- let's switch gears now. Going to uh, last week, there was a a shooting in the Bronx. Um, pretty unfortunate, obviously. Uh, I think there were seven individuals that were shot. I think one of them died, other than the uh, perpetrator of the crime. Mm-hmm. And uh, th- so we had this gunman, Doctor Henry Bello. Uh, he had actually formerly worked for the city of New York uh, up until recently. They had just terminated his job, his contract, on June 21st. And uh, a few days later, he walks into the um, Bronx Lebanon Hospital Center and shoots seven people before taking his own life. Now, he did all this with uh, an AR-15 style rifle. Um, and Jacob, you did some research, and I I I, pl- I appreciate you doing this uh, because it was kind of I was curious about it as well. And and the weapon that was used was like I said, an AR-15. But you asked the question, Jacob, how big of a magazine? Because this is in New York, and they have a ten-round magazine capacity limit. Seven, if I'm not mistaken. Well, technically, for technically seven. Yeah. Right. You can have a ten-round magazine, but you're supposed to only put seven in it. <laughs> right. 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 Uh-huh. And so this guy, he legally purchased this Air 15 in upstate New York uh, with a ten-round magazine. Yep. 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 
he passed a background check. Now he did apparently have some some uh, 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 convictions from like 13 plus years ago uh, that uh, either they were you know past the the period of time where they would have kept him from getting a gun, or or for some reason they just slipped through the cracks and they didn't come up in that background check. But uh, yeah, I think one of them plea bargained, and the, yeah, there are a variety of things. The short of it is. Our current system didn't stop this strategy. And by current system, I mean like the poster child for gun control today, right? Like we're talking about New York where any legislation that's being proposed, it's already been passed there. So, you know, you want universal background checks, you got it. Like you got to have a background check. And he went through one and he passed it. You want magazine capacity limitations, you got it. Like you can't buy a mag that holds more than 10 and you can't put more than seven in it. Well, yeah, the we, most restrictive in the country. Yeah, like you, you can't like any anything that's being proposed right now in the gun control arena has already been passed here where this took place, and he went through the legal channels. Like it, it reminds me a little bit of the Columbine incident in uh, two thousand. I don't even know ninety. I don't even know what year 90, it was. Ninety nine, I think that was. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. So, so. This was during the ninety nine the nineteen ninety four assault rifle ban, and we had magazine capacity limitations then as well. And so you had these kids who walk into Columbine High School with a bunch of ten round mags. You know they just keep reloading and they just keep shooting. Now this guy I don't know if he had multiple mags or not, but what's very clear is that the mag he had with him didn't hold more than ten rounds. And yeah. it's just, yeah. Uh, I hate to turn some of these things political. I don't want to be accused of doing that. I guess I just, it's true. I guess I will. And so you can accuse me and I accept it. It's a tragedy, et cetera, et cetera. But the reason, the whole purpose for, for the us going through stories in the podcast is to learn from them. And so if I'm asking myself, what are we going to learn from this one? The number one thing I learned is none of the gun control proposals work. There are very least, they didn't stop this one. That That is as clear as daylight could be, right? They didn't stop this one. This is a guy who had some issues. Clearly, if you shoot another human being, you have some issues, but he passes the background check that's currently legally imposed. He buys a gun that's completely legal per all the potential limitations that could be imposed in that state. And he goes and shoots seven people. Yep. In a hospital. I'm sorry, let me, before I get off my soapbox, hospitals. Oh, hospitals. (laughs) I got beef with hospitals that restrict the right to carry concealed. I I don't know. I haven't checked, but I I don't know New York law well enough to know if there's just a blanket restriction on all hospitals. Wouldn't surprise me. Um, And and if there isn't, maybe this particular hospital has a restriction, but odds are pretty strong. And if if you guys, someone else has already done the research, send me me the note. But odds are pretty high that this is also a gun-free zone, a place where... You know, I could not have taken a gun myself. You know, I, we got my, my wife and, and kids were in a car accident a couple months ago. They, had, they, you know, they took the ambulance ride. They went to the hospital. Don't, don't be concerned. They were fine. It turned out okay. A couple of bumps and bruises. But uh, <laughs> I go to visit them at the hospital. Boom, no guns. And I'm like, why? Like, I'm here to visit my wife and children. It's not like I'm coming here to shoot patients. Like, what, what is the concern that would keep me from bringing my gun into this hospital? And I'll tell you something about hospitals. They all have one thing in common. They have armed security. I mean, at least any decent-sized hospital does. Maybe not like some small urgent care clinic. But but right. I suspect that this hospital had armed security. Did the armed security stop him? Nope. 
He yep. took his own life. He was not confronted by anyone else with the firearm. Uh, he, he, he did what he came to do, and when he was done, he shot himself. So uh, it's just another example of the, the failure of a gun-free zone. And I don't know for sure, like, you know, disclaimer, don't know, maybe armed citizens, highly unlikely in the Bronx, are allowed to take guns into hospital, but dang hospitals, like, stop it. Cut it out. Like, what, what is the problem with me having my gun there? Yeah, in fact, it says here in this story from uh, CBS uh, Local.com that uh, he snuck the rifle underneath his white lab coat to get into the hospital and up to the 16th floor where he shot the, the seven people, uh, one of them fatally, uh, before he shot himself. And uh, yeah, so all the gun control in New York City did nothing to, to stop this. Now, so, you know, is this a political issue, Jacob? Absolutely, it is a political issue because you know what gun control supporters will, will do and they'll look at this situation and say ah we got to keep you know go even further with gun control we got to restrict things even further because still with 10 round magazine and 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 all the laws and background check laws and everything in place he was still able to do this so we got to go even more hardcore with the gun control now we're obviously sitting here and pointing out and say look you can do whatever you want, and it wouldn't necessarily prevent this sort of thing from occurring. And, and we believe that to be true, and I, I think rightfully so. But, uh, you know, at, at the core of it, though, what the gun control supporters really want, they really want all guns to be outlawed, and they really want them to be confiscated from law-abiding citizens. That's the politics of it. That's the reality of it. They'll say all day long till they're blue in the face. Well, you know, we, we believe we support you being able to hunt and you know reasonable self-defense. But you don't need AR-15s. You don't need high-capacity magazines. You don't need semi-automatics to do that. But really, what they want is to just take it all away. Well, I'll, I'll say something. And Riley, remember you and I got into a fun debate with this this girl sitting on a street corner once pitching some <laughs> nonprofit deal where yep. they support the constitutional rights. And it, I don't, I don't, I, I personally do not believe that everybody who's pro gun control wants outright gun confiscation. Sure, maybe some of the people at the top, like Bloomberg, and yeah, do I think Clinton and Obama totally wanted that or still want? Sure, like I'll buy that. But but you know, for the vast majority of Americans who would stand up and say, "Hey, I support." you know, universal background checks and magazine capacity limitations and blah, 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 blah. I don't think that the, the mass majority of people who su just support that stuff want outright confiscation. But here, the problem is that it, it will have to lead there. It will have to lead there. And this is a perfect example of why. Because it, if you pass all the things you want to pass and stuff still happens, what are you going to do next? Uh -huh. You know, it's called cognitive dissonance. You had a belief that something would do something, and now your belief has been challenged. Like, wait a minute, I, th I thought that if we had all these things in place, that these things couldn't happen. Well, that cognitive dissonance has to be resolved, and the easiest way for you to resolve it is to say, well, then we need more. And, and so it's a never-ending downward cycle toward the bottom that will have to lead to confiscation, whether or not that was what the, the person intended or believed in or wanted to begin with. So, so understand that we don't, you know, we don't need to say that every single person out there who supports any form of gun control wants to steal all our guns. Like, yeah, some of the, some of the players, that's absolutely their end all. But that's where it's going to have to go because the more restrictive it gets – and the more that doesn't do anything to stop what we're supposedly trying to stop, the more people will just keep going down the rabbit hole. Well, you and I are not in disagreement on that. Uh, 
because I'm not saying every person that believes in any sort of gun control, you know, that ultimately they want to take all guns away. I'm not saying that at all. I, I think most Americans that uh, support the gun control narrative uh, in various ways, uh, a lot of them are normal Americans that uh, they just don't get it and they've drunk the Kool-Aid. But what I'm talking about, I said this is a political issue. When I say it's a political issue, I'm talking about it's that it's that establishment, that gun control. Uh, uh, yeah, it's the Bloomberg's, you know, and the and the Nancy Pelosi's of the world. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, fine, yes, fine. at the at the heart of it, you're exactly right. Uh, and 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 they do. Do you think they don't know or that they don't understand that that's where it'll lead? Of course, that's where they they know it's going to lead eventually, if they continue getting their way. Obviously, we don't need to beat a dead horse here. Uh, most of our listeners, I'm sure, get it. But uh, uh, this story was an interesting one because it takes place. It's high profile, and it takes place in a place where supposedly you know they're doing it right as far as how to regulate guns. And yeah, it didn't do anything to stop this. Speaking of uh, gun rights uh, or gun legislation and how actually in much of the country gun rights are being expanded and laws are getting less restrictive. So this story on foxnews.com shows that state laws expand concealed gun rights to college campuses and public facilities. And this article is a great article. It highlights a lot of uh, new laws that have that have been passed in recent months and now are going to into effect uh, in a lot of different states across the nation. Uh, some examples. In Tennessee, concealed carry guns may now be carried in a broader range of public buildings and bus stations. In Iowa, permit holders can now carry concealed guns in the Capitol. Uh, let's see. There was one about Georgia. In Georgia, uh, let's see. Where'd that one go? Oh, I lost it. In Kansas, I know this one for a fact. Kansas just just uh, passed and allows for uh, concealed carry on college campuses. And so that's going into effect. That's that's pretty cool. Here's the Georgia one. Georgia now is allowing people with concealed handgun permits to take their weapons into classrooms, but not dormitories. And college sports fans can pack weapons while tailgating, but not inside stadiums. Uh, Tennessee law, I mentioned this, uh, but more specifically, allowing guns in many local public buildings, bus stations, and parks. Uh, but that can be avo- that can be voided if authorities opt to install metal detectors staffed by security guards. Uh, of course, we highlighted the Kansas law, too, recently, where there was an exemption for hospitals and universities and some other state institutions that recently the governor, Sam Brownback, uh, did not sign a law that would have uh, basically... So, so now what's happening is these uh, universities and, and uh, hospitals are now... Uh, the law has now gone into effect where you cannot carry into those. Wait, am I getting this mixed up? What was the story? <laughs> yeah, no, in Kansas, the deal there. was that um, the these hospitals and medical clinics, uh, the if the law had not been changed, they were going to be forced to either you know put in place security measures or allow consult carriers. And the law that has now been uh, passed essentially uh, gives them an exclusion to this this law that allows concealed carriers to go into public places. So essentially it's saying, okay, excluding hospitals and medical clinics, yeah, that, that we're gonna we're gonna allow this law to pass. So they, they essentially added an exclusion so that these these health facilities would not have to put in uh, you know security measures. 
There you go. That's what I was trying to explain. <laughs> so uh, the point is, there's all this stuff going, uh, you know, that have been that has been passed is going into effect that is uh, making a positive uh, impact. I think in terms of broadening gun rights across the country, and uh, I, I'm I'm excited to see it. You know, there's some interesting quotes in this story uh, talking about the Kansas uh, uh, campus. Kansas campus carry, and they were quoting some students saying, oh, man, we're freaking out because, you know, it feels less safe. Uh, but there's some really, really smart things, I think, said by some of these students. One of these uh, said that uh, uh, it was a student where she said that her friends had decided they were going to go somewhere else for college because it freaked them out. But then she says, but most of us were like, if someone has access to a weapon, they can use it either way. And uh, there's another one, too. Uh, where another student said that, you know, does it make me feel safer? I'd say yes. Uh, so there's these students that they they get it. It, you know, it makes sense to them. There's many students that drink the Kool-Aid and, and they don't think through and understand that, guess what? If you have a gun, regardless of what the law says, regardless if it says you can go on campus or not go on campus, it doesn't really matter. You can go wherever you want and use that gun. Um, another student here said, it's insane that I can carry everywhere else except school. Suggesting that now it makes you know more sense that uh, you know the law is being expanded to allow for campus carry. Mm-hmm. And we did an episode dedicated to campus carry. I'm looking for it right now here. Um, for those of you who you know have more interest in this, it's episode 44. Yeah, yeah, it was a doozy. So <laughs> hope that you'll go listen to that if, if uh, particularly if you're a student and this is an issue for you. Uh, we're seeing this movement, I think, you know, more and more states are considering it and passing it, and this sort of thing is gaining steam. Because, I mean, we're, you mentioned earlier, Jacob, about track record. And the reality is that in many of these states many on, and on many of these campuses where students have been allowed to now carry concealed on campus, there's an excellent track record as far as they have not made those campuses less safe, meaning the wild, wild, less wild, wild west shootings that were going to suddenly happen, you know, and students walking into teachers' offices and shooting them over a, you know, a grade or something. That that's not happening. And guess what? Even if if these campus carry laws were not passed, a student still could go onto campus if they wanted to and still shoot a, a teacher for making them mad. So the, the point is the track record is showing is that most of these students are law abiding and they just want to be able to defend themselves. So we don't have another Virginia tech. So we don't have another, what was that college in California? Oregon. A couple years ago. There was the uh, Oregon one too. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? So yeah. Uh, bravo, you know, for, for getting these laws put in place and, and uh, allowing more law-abiding citizens to take responsibility for for their lives, for their own defense. So, um, let's see what's up next here, Jacob. We've got a story. Oh, oh a shootout! <laughs> did, Video shootout. Did you? Yeah, the, you know. So a couple weeks ago, there was this. I remember seeing the news alert pop up on my phone. You know, something about some shootout in Maryland. And many of you listening to this probably saw some some news story or some reference to this. So basically, had a bank robber. Uh, that uh, I think it was a bank. He was he was definitely an armed robbery suspect, and he's trying to get away. And he did not care who got hurt in the process of him trying to escape. Uh, he was shooting wildly all over the place. And so what just got released, and that's the highlight of this 
of this article is it actually includes a, a video from both a bus. So apparently this guy took refuge on a bus at one point and it shows him leaning out the doors of the bus with two handguns, one in his right hand, one in his left hand, just blazing away in two different directions, just shooting wildly. And then you see also some body cam footage of one of the officers uh, shooting back, and, and they, they successfully uh, shoot and, and drop the suspect. He succumbs to his wounds. Uh, it was a intense, intense shootout. Mm-hmm. So did you see this, Jacob? I did, yeah. And there was an injured uh, bystander and officer, but both of them mm-hmm. are recovered or expect to be recovered uh, when I checked. So that that's some good news there as well. But yeah, it's it's crazy. In fact, I love the quote from, uh, let's see, what what did this guy say? Oh, Baltimore County State Attorney Scott Schellenberger. That's quite the name. Quote, I actually had to watch it a couple of times because I was a little bit in disbelief. End quote. And it's true. Like when you watch this, you're like, what movie does this dude think he's in? Like, he's like double-wielding these handguns, shooting in different directions. He's got these massive extended mags in there. And uh, he's serious. Here's the thing that I thought, you know, that I took from it. Like, you know, one of the, one of the Jacob lessons was all this guy, it, this was an armed robbery. This guy was not running away from a murder scene. He did not, you know, just, you know, explode a building. He's not a terrorist. It's just an armed robbery. But he was not going to get caught. He was going to do anything to avoid being you know, arrested for an armed robbery. And that guy could have been anywhere. That could have been in any one of our neighborhoods, any one of our communities. Any one of us could have been in that, in that situation and had bullets flying you know, right past our heads. Yep. Yep. Uh, it, it just goes to show how crazy this world can be. And I know there's a lot of talk about, uh, you know, capacity of our guns and, uh, uh, whether we carry spare mags and things like that. And I'm thinking, yeah, I mean, that might not necessarily uh, relate directly to this incident, but I think this incident just shows how insane some of these criminals can be. And if you somehow, for whatever reason, are caught up in the middle of that, who knows what you might need as far as uh, a weapon to defend yourself? Who knows how many rounds you might need to defend yourself? And so, to me, what I take from it is be even more, you know, better prepared, both in terms of your skill and your skills and abilities, but also in terms of your equipment. Have, you know, a good, viable self-defense handgun with plenty of rounds because the world's crazy. Anyway, if you'd like to check out that video, by the way, all these news stories, as usual, are included in the show notes of today's episode. And so if you see this article on Pittsburgh's Action 4 News, uh, WTAE.com, the story title is Bus Officers Body Cam Videos Show Wild Police Shootout. Uh, That's a good place to go find it, and you can check out that video for yourself. Pretty wild stuff. Now on to, uh, this is a... (laughs) I had to talk about this story today, today Jacob, because um, this one caught my eye, I think, on Facebook. Uh, a friend or somebody shared this story about the Milwaukee, uh, Wisconsin police chief. And his there, there's been a video that's been circulated. Um, and and i got to say, I've been really disappointed with a lot of the media that I've seen that has circulated this video. Because you see only the statement made by the police chief. Police chief's name is Ed Flynn. And he is 
he's at a town hall meeting to discuss violence in Milwaukee. Uh, this was held at the Wisconsin Black Historical Society. They've got, you know, a bunch of people in attendance where many of these attendees submitted written questions for members of the panel. The panel included Arizona-based policing expert Michael Scott, the chief of police of Milwaukee Police Department, Ed Flynn, and Mike Crivello, Crivello president of the Milwaukee Police Association. So they've got this, you know, three-person panel taking these questions. By the way, I'm reading from uh, this article on BearingArms.com. This is a... It's a really well-written article, I have to admit. Uh, I'm sorry to say it's not on our own site, Jacob. It's it's pretty uh, good, yeah. Yeah. Uh, But the the media that I've seen, you know, putting this video out there is just of Chief Flynn, where he says basically that it's because of the concealed carry law in Wisconsin that was passed that is allowing what he calls human holsters, meaning that you've got supposedly criminals, guys that haven't had, you know, they don't, and they're probably younger, you know, uh, lesser experienced criminals that don't have all these felonies and stuff on the records yet. And they're riding around in cars with hardcore felons. And basically these, these supposed, you know, uh, human holsters have valid permits and they're carrying on their person multiple handguns concealed that at any moment with their fellow gang members, they can hand them out, essentially, you know, to commit their various crimes. And that way, if these guys are pulled over in the vehicle, uh, yeah, you might have three felons or something, but then you got this fourth guy that has a valid permit and he's carrying concealed. He's got all the guys in the car's guns on him, essentially. I mean, that, that's kind of like what Chief Flynn is suggesting. And it's an insane <laughs> suggestion. And so he says, look, it's, and this is quoting from Chief Lynn, it's an irresponsible law passed by irresponsible legislators, legislatures who are more interested in ideological points. And I'd sure as hell like some more community outrage about that because that's what driving the violence in this city and too many public officials are silent on it. That (laughs) is, wow. I mean, (laughs) it's because of these legislators and the concealed carry law that is driving the violence in the city. Yeah, what a so, statement. I, 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 we could, we could not do total justice to this topic without just reading this entire article in its in its entirety. Like it is that awesome and well written. Um, the author of this article must live in Wisconsin to even have cared enough to gone through the effort of doing all this research. Um, well, it's it's phenomenal. And the author is Jen Jakes, a longtime writer at BearingArms.com. Uh, and uh, she, I've always enjoyed her work very much. Uh, are you suggesting we read this entire article right now? No. But <laughs> okay. what I'm saying is that if you're listening to the podcast right now, you should go read this. Because okay. it's... Good idea. It, it, it's, it's, it's phenomenal in a couple of respects. One is it shows that public figures can get away with a lot of crap unless somebody is willing to do the legwork to show that they're liars. Yeah. And, you know, in this case, we're talking about a lot of legwork that was done. Um, You know, here's a great, there's a great section of this article, for example, where um, this chief of police, you know, when when he was questioned, like, well, hey, you're claiming that all these permit holders 
are you know committing all these crimes. Can you give us examples? And he basically said, oh, I'm not allowed to. The law pro- prevents me from sharing that information. And so there's a section here where the, the author uh, calls up, like, you know, basically everyone from the Wisconsin Department of Justice to the Attorney General's office, to the local district attorney, the local representatives, uh, basically saying, like, what is this law that, that supposedly prevents... Um, you know the the chief Flynn from from you know, revealing this information, and he, he you know documents all the back and forth. Basically, no one has any freaking clue what the law is, and he finally gets his copy on the statute that they're claiming says it in there, and it says except in the context of a prosecution for an offense in which the person's status as a licensee or holder of a certification card is relevant. So, in other words, if the, an arrest is made of someone who has a permit and they committed a firearm-related crime, then it is legally permissible for law enforcement to make that information available to the public. Mm. So again, just, just showing one more place where Flynn's full of crap. Like, and I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll say this. I think that what happens here, and, and I, I could be totally off base, and Riley, you call me out if you think that's ridiculous. But I think this is what happens. I think what happens is you have someone in you know law enforcement administration, you got Chief Flynn in this case, and Chief Flynn, you know, 75% of all firearm-related murders in the entire state take place in his jurisdiction. And he's all he knows is, you know, crimes are happening and they're up and he's busy dude and he's got lots of paperwork to fill out and it's his job to, you know, stop this. But do you think, like, I doubt that, that Mr. Flynn pulls in a research team into his office on any regular basis and says, let's look at the data. Like right. I just suspect that's that's the failure here is that we have someone who has been given a couple of anecdotal stories by a couple of people in his department that have led him to believe something that's all all completely false and wrong. And is that his fault? Yes. I mean it is it is his fault if he's making assumptions based on crappy or faulty or lack of data, and even more so his fault if he's then publicly announcing those assumptions. Um, but I'll just say that, you know, to, to the, to the nature of the human condition, like a lot of us do crap like this. And so not an excuse because he's a public figure and he's making statements like that. And frankly, if we're going to trust him to bring down the crime, he needs to have the data. My, my point is like the data is huge. Data is everything. Like <laughs> I love data and, and we're a very data focused company and, Dang it, law enforcement agencies, you should be really data focused. Like you should be able to back up every single thing you do. And in today's day and age where we track so much stuff, we have big data, we got fancy, fast computers, there should be no excuse for not analyzing and acting based on data-driven information, not anecdotal, arbitrary bullcrap that we pull out of who knows where. Yep. And there's some really great data in this article. Um let me just highlight one piece of it because I think this really gets at a core crux uh, of the issue because according to Chief Flynn, he's saying that crime is going, you know, violent crime is going rampant in Milwaukee due to the concealed carry law. But looking at some of the data, in Wisconsin in 2015, 238 homicides were committed, 170 of those committed with a firearm. 125 of those were in Milwaukee. Of 125 of those, they were able to make arrests in only 49 of those cases. Out of those 49, 15 of the suspects were under age, under the age minimum age requirement for concealed carry permit in the state of Wisconsin, meaning they, they could, it wouldn't have been possible for them to have a permit. So they're ruled out as being one of these so-called human holsters. Uh, here's another one. 22 of the suspects were felons illegally in possession of firearms. So they're 
carrying illegal, uh, concealed illegally. Two were ruled self-defense. Two were ruled justified self-defense. And so it suggests here, Jen Jakes, the, the author, suggests, in my opinion, four of the 44 gun homicides committed in Milwaukee in 2015, uh, counting these ones that, that where they were able to make arrests and, and uh, maybe, you know, maybe get convictions or whatever, only four out of the four, of 44 could possibly have been committed by a concealed carry permit holder. Suggesting it's far from what Chief Flynn is suggesting. <laughs> that we're having this this rampant uh, uh, you know increase in violent crime due to concealed carry law and these so-called human holsters. It, he is full of crap. And that's why going back to where I started, that's why I'm so frustrated with the media where I've been seeing this video in multiple places, multiple different websites where it shows him giving his statement about how irresponsible, the law is and how irresponsible the state legislature is for putting it into place and how it's because of it that violent crimes are going crazy in his city. And you don't see Mike Crivello, the other one of the other participants of the panel that says he counters him. He says, I have never had a conversation with you chief relative to you displaying that we are arresting an overwhelming amount of people or even one person who's committed a crime while carrying a CCW permit. And that's where Chief Flynn responds by saying, I'm forbidden to tell the public when a CCW permit holder breaks the law. I'm forbidden by statute, which Jacob, you highlighted and pointed out exactly where he is wrong in that. So he was full of crap of that. He's full of crap about the reasons for the crime rate increasing in his city. And so go check out the article. This is a fantastic article. And it's a really important issue because we have politicians, and believe me, Chief Flynn is a politician in this country that would have you believe that concealed carry and broadening that right for law-abiding citizens in this country, that it does more more damage than it does good. Mm -hmm. And that is not what we see at all. No. In fact, you have the we have contrasting things here, like just across the way from Wisconsin, you have the Detroit uh, chief of police in Michigan, who's encouraging citizens to get armed, get permits, and get licensed. Yeah. Like, and then you also, we just had a county sheriff in in, uh, in Florida, I think last week, week before, who went on TV urging the citizens of his county to get armed and carry every day. Um, yeah. And, and you know, I don't know, I you know, I don't know that they spit out any numbers or data. They could be just as full of crap for all I know. But what I will say is that there are definitely some some agencies and some departments out there um, who are are you know saying the very opposite thing of what good old Chief Flynn here is trying to imply. Yep. And just look, you know, just south of Milwaukee is another huge city, Chicago, that uh, has much stricter gun control. And much different processes for concealed carry now in that state. And, (laughs) but before they even, before that court ruling that allowed concealed carry to even become a possibility in Illinois, we had a lot of crap going on in Chicago. We still have a lot of crap going on there. I think 1,700 plus people now shot in Chicago so far this year. And that's not committed by concealed carry permittees. It's committed by pure thugs on the street. And we have a story here coming up in our Justified segment in in a moment of a woman in Chicago that is carrying concealed and is successfully able to defend herself. We'll get to that in just a moment. Uh, So 
There you go. And in fact, if you are a Milwaukee resident or anywhere around there, I would I would certainly encourage you to, one, write your state representatives and uh, senators and let them know that you support them in concealed carry law and the way it was passed, uh, you know, and, and what you have there. Support them. Let them know of your support for that. And then also send a letter to uh, Police Chief Flynn's office and let him know what an idiot he is. Okay, so let's get to our first justified yep. story. What do you say, Jacob? Game on. So this one comes to us out of California, uh, where we had a man who uh, uh, this is a uh, break-in into a home. I don't know how you say this. This was uh, well in San- Santa Clarita Valley uh, Sheriff's uh, jurisdiction, and the city or town is called Castaic. 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 Yeah, sure. Okay, so basically, C-A-S-T-A-I-C. yeah. So you have this little—I don't know—I assume it's a town because I've never heard of it before. Castaic, California, where uh, a man was shot because he broke into a Castaic home um, that obviously he shouldn't have done so. <laughs> so uh, he was breaking in about two in the morning. Uh, he was banging on the windows looking for an entry point. He was then noticed by a woman who owned the home. He was t- attempting to forcefully enter. As soon as the woman heard the noise, she placed a call to the local police, saying there was a burglary in process at her in progress at her home. So, by the way, I'm gonna stop right there, Jacob, because I I, I think this is really cool. Um, number one, that it's included here in the story, and that it's pointing out that as soon as she realizes there's a burglary in progress, she places a call nine one one. I you know I I applaud her. I mean, number, you know, a lot of people aren't uh, able to do that, or they just go right to the the gun. And in some cases, now, granted, it's going to be totally dependent on the situation. Uh, but uh, she realized that somebody's trying to break in, but they haven't broke in yet. So she calls. She makes the call. At the point the call was being made, the man was attempting to kick in her front door. At that point, as the door began to crumble, the homeowner shouted that she was armed. This still did not deter the criminal. As the door eventually gave way to the kicks, the man barged into the home, and he was met with exactly what he said he would be met with, the homeowner and her handgun. And at that point, after a short confrontation with the suspect, and this is actually quoting Deputy Lisa Jansen with the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Office, uh, after a short confrontation with the suspect, the victim fired a shot from her firearm at the suspect, hitting him in the chest. Uh, It appears that he's going to make a full recovery, uh, but, uh, yeah, there you go. I mean, this is what it's all about right here in this country. Yeah. I, I, I'm glad you pointed out that she called 911, not because calling 911 is such, you know, some important critical detail, but I think to me what it, it, it shows is patience and control, right? right? This idea that, okay, someone's banging on my window, someone's banging, on, you know, look, trying to get in, but they're not in yet. I still hear them banging and I probably retrieve my firearm. I have it in hand. Uh, and, and I, I still have the opportunity right now to call in one. I don't need to start shooting through the glass or through the door. Right. I mean, right. at this point I'm okay. And I've taken a position that's, that's strong, you know, in terms of being able to do something when, if they, if they breach and I'm going to call nine one one. And so, so that idea of patience and planning and preparation, I think is, is what's so awesome yeah. about this story. Restraint. Don't you think yeah. as well? Sure. You know, you know, like you said, uh, instead of blasting through the door or through a window, uh, and that goes a long ways. I mean, I'm not suggesting that we should ever restrain ourselves to the point it gets us killed. Okay. But, but I think showing restraint in situations like these bodes well for you, the gun owner, 
because it shows, look, I wasn't trying to kill anybody or shoot anybody, uh, but I only did so when it got to a point that, ooh, you know, it, I had no other choice. Yeah, the objective here is clearly survival and not, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Yeah. Uh, retribution? Uh, yeah. Attacking? Not, not I mean, retribution. It was all defensive. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. That's a that's a great point. So there's that story, uh, first one up for, for our Justified segment today. And in uh, North Carolina, we have another one here. And, and Jacob, I'm going to turn this one over to you to sort of lead the charge. Yeah, so this is uh, Louisville, I assume. And the title is Louisville Man Rescues Neighbors from Ongoing Assault and Robbery. And you can find this on on our NorthCarolina.ConcealedCarry.com. So this this uh, Louisville apparently is not too far from Greensboro. If for those of you who aren't you know maybe familiar with that one, and essentially at two thirty in the morning, authorities are called to the home. Now this is on Sunday, Sunday morning, two thirty a.m., and they receive this call regarding a break-in. Now when they get there, what they find is a dead man. He's twenty-three-year-old Horace Wayne Valu Jr. Now according to the the people who were there, this is what happens. Okay, the the, the homeowner, they see several men break into a home and they hear a struggle inside that home. So they come running over with the firearm. So I, I can like, imagine this is you, right? Like maybe you're, you're chilling on your front porch or your window's open. It's hot. It's summertime. And you, you hear something, right? And you're like, what in the world? So you kind of look out the window and you see a couple of dudes breaking into your neighbor's house. And you're like, that's not cool. So maybe you're about to call 911, but you hear a struggle coming from inside. And you're like, oh crap, like someone could be getting hurt right now. So that's what that's what happens. So the neighbor grabs, you know, grabs his firearm, or at least he has his firearm at some point, and he runs over to the neighbor's house where he hears what's going on and starts firing shots. And uh it it it, it doesn't go well for the home invaders. One of them is hit, and as we know, you know, dies and his his comrades, his you know fellow invaders, run. They they take off like they usually do. This is a phenomenal story, Jacob, because it's not a situation that we see play out very often. Uh, most home invasions, uh, where, we're, where we have you know an intruder involved like this, it, it, the situation is solved, like the last one by the homeowner themselves. The homeowner has uh, the ability to defend themselves, and they, and they do so. In this situation, you have a neighbor that is apparently, I mean, I would say they're a good neighbor. They were alert enough, they were paying attention enough in their neighborhood and of their neighbors enough to know that, or to notice, hey, there's something going on over there that's not right. Uh, this does not look good. And also a neighbor that has the, the courage to run over there and involve themselves. Like they take great risk at doing that. Uh, most neighbors, frankly, are just going to call the police. And while that's, you know, there's, I'm not going to judge anyone that takes that course of action because that's better than taking no action at all, of course, because there's certainly there's people that, that wouldn't even bother to, you know, they, they, they might look at it and go, oh, I don't know. Yeah, I'm not going to involve myself and I'm not going to, you know, going to bother to call 911. Um, but this guy had the courage to to go over there and put himself, both his physical health and life, uh, as well as potentially himself, you know, his liability um, at risk here to, you know, getting involved to defend the life of his neighbor. And I, that's that's just remarkable to me. And, you know, we don't necessarily have all the details from this situation, uh, but, uh, 
you know, it seems to me just by reading from the story, uh, and 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 they've not indicated the police have not indicated that they're charging any you know anyone other than these guys that were trying to break into the home to begin with, uh, suggesting that this neighbor you know is not going to be charged with anything. It's you know it's still an ongoing investigation, but seems to me from what we're seeing that the the neighbor did things for the most part correctly. Uh, you know, he, and depending on the state that you might be in, um, he, you might be completely justified. Like this might almost fall under uh, a castle doctrine type law, uh, depending on how your state, you know, words that law, because in, in many, well, let me use Colorado as an example. It talks about an occupant of a home, um, or you may use defense in in defense of another occupant of a home, and that might get a little bit of a gray area. But I suspect that most prosecutors, upon looking at the facts, and, and particularly in a state like Colorado, would look at Castle Doctrine law and go, "Well, this is a little bit unusual because we have someone inside a home using deadly force, but they were a neighbor that started from outside that home, but they came in." And they use that force in defense of an occupant of that home, and I suspect they might let it let it slide. <laughs> you know, meaning that because the standard is a much stricter standard uh, when you are using deadly force outside of your dwelling. So yeah, I don't know. In, I mean, in most states, yeah, right, right. Uh, so another thing it, that occurred to me that I think is relevant here, you know, if you're listening, you might ask yourself, how well do you know your neighbors? How well do your neighbors know you? You know, if you if you heard a commotion, could you run into your neighbor's house and, and easily identify who in that struggle is the neighbor and who is the the assailant? Um, and, and if you were in a struggle and one of your neighbors came rushing in to, to give you aid, would they have any clue who you were? Would they, you know? So another thought there about being neighborly and, you know, getting to know your neighbors a little bit. That's a really great point. Uh, leave it to you, Jacob, to, you know, always bring up the really great points, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's me. <laughs> no, that, that's a fantastic point. Uh, and and it's, it's a more challenging thing in this day and age where more and more people associate only electronically via social media and online and, and so forth or via text message. Uh, and we definitely see where neighbors are not knowing neighbors as well as uh, as they once did. Um, all right, so our final story here is, uh, this is another doozy. And I told you, I, I sort of teased it. Uh, this is out of Chicago. Uh, and we have a woman who is carjacked. And to, just to give you the story, this is from NBCChicago.com. It's the Channel 5 uh, NBC News affiliate there. And uh, this, this happened on the city's northwest side this past Wednesday. Officers responding to the scene, uh, they, they described where a 41-year-old woman said she was driving northbound when a gray sedan struck her vehicle. She then pulled over to inspect the damage when an unknown male jumped into her car and fled. So essentially, let me paint this picture. She's driving along, minding her own business, when suddenly she is hit by another vehicle. She gets out, like many people do, you know, immediately following these incidents like this. They go, oh, I just got hit, and oh, what happened to my car, and is the other driver okay? You know, all, all that stuff's going on, right? And so she's looking at the damage, seeing what happened, and while she's out of her car, one of the drivers of the gray sedan that struck her, or one of the occupants of that vehicle, jumps in her car and takes off. 
And uh, apparently there was another individual, also a male, who had attempted to jump in the passenger side of her vehicle, uh, but failed to do so. His his uh, his cohort took off without him. Uh, apparently the passenger side door was still locked and, and he was unable to get in. So he then takes refuge behind a garbage can in an alleyway nearby. Uh, the woman... Obviously, she's got to be stunned and shocked and scared and, you know, not knowing what's going on. Uh, she just knows she's got this other dude that uh, was involved in the situation. And she starts screaming at him. Uh, and and witnesses even said that uh, uh, they heard her demanding the man to show her his hands. Uh, we don't know a lot of details as to what exactly happens at this point. But kind of, you know, she fires some shots, and it doesn't say that the uh, other suspect was was shot or injured or anything like that. Uh, but you know, it suggests to me that she felt threatened by this other guy. Uh, perhaps he failed to comply with her demands to show her his hands. I mean, what is she to who is she to know that you know as to what this guy's intent is? He just ran into her and tried to you know jump in with his buddy as they stole her car. So. Uh, but shots were fired. Uh, it appears that she defended herself. Um, and, uh, you know, it's still an investigation that is pending here. Uh, maybe we'll get some more details, but quite a crazy story. And it reminds me, Jacob, we, we had a story once, I don't remember exactly when it was a while ago of a similar, you know, of, a, of another woman being carjacked, uh, where she, you know, she actually, she had to fire shots to defend herself in that situation as well. So this sort of thing is is a very real possibility, and it's something that we should be mindful of and, and ready to defend ourselves in that, that kind of situation. Yeah, uh, I feel I feel bad for this woman, and I, I sorely wish I had more details. In fact, it mentions in the story that there was some home surveillance footage captured, um, and I wish I could see it. Because, you know, I immediately jumped to the conclusion of, what the crap was this lady thinking? You know, like she just starts shooting off at some dude who's hiding behind a guard. But as, as you mentioned, uh, maybe, I, you know, you jump to conclusions too quickly. Because maybe this guy, you know, stood up. Maybe he came toward her. Or maybe she, you know, she just, for whatever reason, she had reason to believe that this guy was was going to jump out and attack her. That her life was still in danger or was in danger at that point. I, I, I don't know. Uh, I think the, the takeaway... Be careful. Be careful. You know, next time you get in an accident, yeah. pay attention. You don't have to jump out and leave your doors unlocked and the engine running right away. You know, you can you can stay in your car. You can roll down the window slightly. You can say, uh, sorry about that. I'm, I'm not going to get out of my car until the police get here. I'm calling them right now. Um, you know, you have a lot of options. And so, you know, the, the criminals are clever. You know? Yeah. You, there's nothing wrong with staying put in your car, locking it and calling police and waiting for them to show up before you do anything. And, you know, so I'm not going to say, I mean, I'll admit, I mean, I've been in a fender bender. Uh, I've never actually knock on wood. <laughs> I've never actually caused one personally, knock on wood. Um, but, uh, I can hear but I you actually knocking on wood. Oh, and it's real wood too. So it's legit. Right. So like, okay, good work. <laughs> I, yeah. Anyway. So, um, it, I, you know, I've, I've been hit and, you know, and you, that's kind of your reaction a lot of times. You're like, holy crap, what happened? And you jump out and, you, you know, and you start trying to figure out the situation, getting insurance and stuff, all that ready. And uh, anyway, the point is, uh, especially if you don't feel safe or secure 
And in this day and age, it's hard to really know or understand sometimes what people, who people are and what their intent is. So be careful. Uh, use, you know, your observation skills to the best of your ability. Evaluate the situation. And if you, if you feel you need to stay locked inside your vehicle, call police, wait for them to arrive. Uh, this is a situation that should not have happened. And you now granted, who's to say, and, and at that moment, you're, let's assume that you've done that. You're sitting in the vehicle, vehicle is locked. Uh, you feel reasonably secure at that moment. You're calling police. But who's to say this isn't another similar situation to the story we just shared where uh, you might want to you know, consider having a, a gun ready because maybe at that point, because you didn't do what they expected you to do, they're coming up and they're threatening you now with a weapon through your window or whatever. So anyway, be prepared. Um, crazier things have happened and uh, we've seen, I've seen plenty of car chases where, it, you know, this is not uncommon where a guy that's being chased by a police runs into somebody else or forces their vehicle over, you know, and tries to, to, to carjack, carjack their vehicle in the hopes of, you know, getting a different vehicle. They can, I don't know, for some reason, make, make their escape. <laughs> it does happen. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah it, it rarely happens where they're able to actually get away, but you know, you'd think they'd learn, but anyway, so just be prepared, be, be really smart out there. Criminals don't world. look at the data either, Riley. No, they really don't. No, that's true. So I think that's the, yeah, that's the final justified story we had for today. Uh, some really, I mean, I don't know what it was about this week, Jacob, but a lot of really interesting stories. Uh, I enjoyed doing this episode with you today. That's yeah, this say. was a fun one. We, <laughs> we saw, we saw, I, I like, I like you too. Um, no, we saw a lot of good stories and, uh, you know, a lot of a lot of good things we could take away from these too. I, 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 you know, we learned some new things here, and we saw some of the same stuff, but some good reminders. Yeah, yeah, good stuff. Today's episode is brought to you by our concealedcarry.com adhesive targets. Uh, this is one of the latest products we have here available on concealedcarry.com. Uh, we have personally, uh, well, we didn't personally by hand manufacture these, but but these are these are our concealedcarry.com targets. And let me tell you, these are really cool targets. First of all, they're peel and stick adhesive. Uh, they will stick and stay in temperatures between minus 20 degrees to plus 160. That's uh, that's plenty. <laughs> That's plenty good right there. I hope I'm never shooting in 160-degree weather, Jacob. Um, <laughs> but uh, the point is that they really stick well. And I've seen too many of these peel-and-stick targets that you stick them on, and five seconds later, they're falling right off again. Uh, a little breeze kicks up, and, and, and your target's blowing around. Uh, but uh, they use a special printing process and high-quality materials to eliminate glare and increase visibility, we have these available. They're sold in packs of 10, 100, or 1,000 on our website at concealedcarry.com forward slash stick targets. S-T-I-C-K-T-A-R-G-E-T-S. Concealedcarry.com forward slash stick targets. And for a limited time, save 10% with the coupon code PODCAST10. P-O-D-C-A-S-T-1-0 with a minimum order of $30. And today's episode is also brought to you by Mantis X. Uh, many of you have heard about this multiple times here on the podcast. We're huge raving rage, raving, and raging fans <laughs> uh, of the Mantis X product. It is like an instructor in your pocket. And one of the reasons why it's being featured here in the podcast today is it is on sale right now as part of the... Uh, 
member appreciation sale or whatever we got going on. Is that right, Jacob? Yep, yep, it is. It's discounted, which is cool because we're really not allowed to discount it uh, publicly on the site. They have a minimum advertising price policy, but because it's a member-only thing, yeah, unique opportunity. Yeah. So if you're looking to get into the Mantis X and maybe price was a little bit of a prohibiting factor before, hopefully now it's a little bit more reasonable for you to to, to get one. So go check it out at Concealed, excuse me, concealedcarry.com forward slash Mantis X, M-A-N-T-I-S-X. Um, and you can also check out uh, uh, our sale. There's a, there'll be a link in the show notes today for that special uh, uh, happy birthday America sale that we got going on right now as well for Guardian Nation members. So, there you have it. Uh, this is going to wrap it up for another episode of the Concealed Carry Podcast. Thank you all for your support of the podcast. Uh, we really couldn't do it without without you. Uh, and there's many of you now, which we are you know pleased uh, to have so many uh, thousands of you that tune in each week and listen to our podcast. Thank you for joining us. We hope that you find it valuable and informative and educational for you. Uh, it is enjoyable for us to do and, and rewarding as well. So with that, I'm going to sign off. Jacob, we'll say goodbye to you as well. Thanks, everyone. Yep. So take care. Enjoy the rest of your week. We'll see you next week with a kind of a more normal schedule of podcasts and uh, episodes and whatnot. We'll have another news uh, uh, episode coming to you on Monday. And uh, next week, we'll uh, find a really cool topic to talk to you about. So take care. Be safe out there. Train hard and safe and all that. We'll catch you next time. A reminder that laws vary from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand applicable laws. The Concealed Carry Podcast, Concealed Carry Inc., ConcealedCarry.com, and their affiliates strive to share insights and stories about firearm-related incidents and laws, but things could be different where you live, or laws may have changed by the time you listen to this. We cannot be held liable for your actions based on the information shared in this podcast.